Welcome to another live edition here on a Wednesday night of The Rock Pile. As always, tune in every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. as I sit down with business owners, athletes, coaches, you name it. I've sat down with a lot of people in the past couple months, um, and I am extremely excited tonight to have back Keith Waterman of Waterman's Martial Arts. He was brave enough to come back a second time with me, um, so I'm extremely excited to talk to him. He was one of my favorite people to have on and, and chat with. Make sure tonight, I'm, I'm live on YouTube and I'm live on Facebook. If you have any comments for Heath or questions, um, put them in the comment box. I will do the best I can to pull as many over tonight as I can. Remember what I always say on this, on this show, the rock pile, or where dreams become reality. Uh, we, we talk ups and downs. We talk the journey. Um, and we're going to do that again tonight. So make sure to follow me on YouTube, um, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and I'll always post the playbacks up as well. So without further ado, let's see if we can get Heath into the broadcast here. He's on in just a minute here. Uh, there he is. How are you, my friend? Good. Yourself? I was just saying when you came on, I feel like we're in the same spots. I feel like you and I just talked yesterday. Yeah, summer's gone by very quickly. Been, been chaos, but good. You know, it's hard to believe. I was telling you, I think you were one of my first handful of guests I had on. I had to look at my schedule. And uh, my first show was the last Wednesday in March. And I've been doing this thing now since April. And uh, I will tell you, I have learned so much about martial arts um, over the past month to two months. I, I never in a million years thought that I would be able to talk as much martial arts as I have. Um, and you got us started with this whole thing. Well, great. I'm glad it kind of broadened everyone's horizons. Martial arts is, of course, what I love to talk about, so I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, Heath, we, got, we, we probably have a lot of new viewers tonight. I know we went into some of the history behind how you got started. I don't want to spend too much time there, but why don't we just start there for new listeners tonight. How would you get started uh, in martial arts? Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Yes. Um, Ninja Turtles, you know, I always wanted to do it. And then when we moved back from uh, Kentucky, moved back to New York, um, you know, my mom looked around the phone book and got Penny's American Karate under Sensei Penny in Hamilton. And that's where I started in 93. Um, and then I've been going ever since. And I can't remember the age, but was it 13 when you got the black belt? Yes, 13 when I got the black belt. Um, 99. Yep. Now you have the you have the two locations. Um, I know you started with the one location first. How long has it been total um, since you've been involved in martial arts? It's going on twenty eight years. By April of next year, it'll be twenty eight years. Um, I've been a school owner for uh, in January thirteen of that, and I've had the two locations for. We just celebrated our second year in July in Hamilton as well. So it's been yeah. Yeah, quite a while. And I know, of course, unfortunately, I've, I've asked all the business owners, we've talked about the COVID impact. And I know the last time we talked, we got into a little bit about, you know, COVID and stuff. How has it changed for you since the last time you and I talked? Uh, we started training and doing classes outside as well as our um, stuff on Zoom. Uh, basically, I started splitting as each location gets one outside class a week. And then everybody together Zoom on Fridays, and I've been doing all the one-on-ones on Zoom. 
Um, the coolest thing is the one-on-ones. Is I've always offered that as an option. Everyone could get a free 30-minute lesson with me every week. But because of Zoom, it built up the flexibility, and every single student's been doing it. So I'm teaching, you know, all ends of the day with these Zoom one-on-ones. But it's actually the quality of the student technically has increased. We haven't been able to do the sparring and self-defenses, but the technical level is far more advanced than it's ever been in the school. So in some ways, COVID has, as awful as it has been for society and many people, from a purely martial arts standpoint, has actually been beneficial in some ways. And, um, and Heath, too, when you mentioned the virtual classes, are, are you guys back like 100% up and operating? No, we're still modified. Um, it's only been the past couple of weeks that martial arts schools got the clear to start operating indoors. But there's a lot of regulations. You've got to get approval from the health department. We're just starting that. Um, I'm reaching out because I want to make sure, A, that it's a good plan. But B, it's going to be a financial investment going forward. And it's the kind of thing that I want to make sure that when we do it, we do it right. And, you know, knock on wood, we're not in a lockdown or close down again. But I also want to make sure, see what happens going into the fall. So the game plan is January back indoors with a more regular schedule as much as regulations allow. Um, but in the meantime, we're doing outside Zoom and one-on-one. So everyone's staying really active, um, keeping busy and training hard, which is all I can ask for. Now, the piece with the virtual, I know we talked a little bit about this before because I, I remember saying to you, know, with Zoom and you know platforms like what we're doing tonight, we're doing it remotely. Um, I know that, you know, my daughter's four years old and I might've told you this before, but right. you know, she was doing virtual like dance class and trying to keep a four-year-old's attention anyways is tough. So right. what I wanted to ask you is, was it tough to do the virtual sessions and really keep the attention of your, of your, uh, students? Zoom classes are more social, honestly, um, because they are, they're a little chaotic. They're a little hard to keep up, especially, you know, I put it up on my big PC with the TV, so I can see everybody. A lot of people are working through their phones, so it's constantly flipping. Um, so that part, yeah, it's a little difficult. But the Zoom one-on-ones, there's really no different different um, other than the fact that, you know, in class, I can take their hand and move it over here versus describing it. Right. So um, I've had some kids that are like, now nah, we don't want to do the Zoom. We'll just do outside or we'll wait till indoors. But most of them you know, see the benefit of at least the one-on-ones, you know, that this is the option. This is the only real way that we can train is outside and on Zoom currently. So we're going to have to deal with it. You know, that's kind of just a, mar I've talked about it last time, you know, martial arts mindset is, you know, you don't dwell on what you can't do. You find out, you try to find a solution and then proceed from there, which, you know, I'm sure is very common in your line of work and everything else. You got to focus on solutions, not, you know, basically wallowing in what you can't do. Exactly. You know, and then I've from some gym owners and even some martial arts folks that I've talked to, one of the common things that they said, and I thought was kind of interested because, you know, even with schools right now being remote, my son every day is, is getting in the Google classrooms and all that. Um, you know, going forward to the future, a lot of people have said they're going to continue to offer a lot of the virtual classes. And listen, there's nothing you can't beat the in-person, the one-on-one -on -one, being able to critique and coach and do all that, doing it through a screen like this is tougher. Do you think you'll keep doing the virtual stuff even when everybody's allowed back in and you're able to operate at 100%? Yeah, um, I'm going to use it to modify. Uh, the plan is right now we'll use classes like instead of taking a snow day, 
you know, now it's just like, well, class is still going to be in session. We're just going to hop on Zoom. Um, the one-on-ones, because of the flexibility, because the problem with one-on-ones before is with parents and work and everything else, trying to get them to the location was a struggle. Now with the one-on-ones, they could just, they got their phone on, they can sit down and do it. So the one-on-ones, a lot of them are probably going to stay on Zoom. The biggest thing as well that I'm looking at the advantage for Zoom is I've had students that have moved away or like go to college. Now they can stay active in karate. In fact, two weeks ago, we actually went national, quote unquote, and we started teaching our sword class to one of my first sword students that moved away to Hawaii. And she's part of a military family. They're currently in California. Her son was one of my students and she was a sword student. So she actually started doing the Zoom. So now we're teaching in California and here, you know, and uh, so it gives me that flexibility that people can stay connected, keep training. So that's the element. It's not going to replace classes, but it's going to be a nice substitute versus nothing. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I did a call um, probably about a month ago. I was on a call like this with um, a YouTuber, marketer. And uh, they actually were interviewing me. It was the first time I've actually been interviewed. And they were in they were in Australia. So I was on a show in Australia, and I'm sitting here saying we're in different time zones, and look what we're able to do. But you know, technology, you know, social media, and all that. You know, it's impacted you know businesses tremendously over the years. Yes, it has. Um, the- you know, from everything from exposure to even the marketing. I mean, you can't beat Facebook ads compared to newspaper ads or, or even TV ads. I've done all of it. Um, and it's, you know, you're getting a lot more bang for your buck when you right. do it through that. Now, I want to go back to the COVID piece because I want to go back to it's really big here in, in my place and every place was, you know, the PPE stuff, the mask, the social distancing, the six feet and, you know, the cleaning. And, and listen, I can tell you what we spend you know, cleaning in all of our locations, it's a pretty hefty bill. Did you, were you able to get any grants or any funds to help you with, with any of the PPE stuff? Cause that's an extra expense for everybody. No, um, I've had to do everything basically out of, out of pocket, out of savings. Cause one thing we did when we closed down March 15th is a lot of people were also out of work. So we stopped charging for classes mm-hmm. um, completely. So any rent, any expenses, basically were off of the cushion that I built up over the past couple of years. Um, we're just starting to, you know, accept donations. When we move indoors, we'll start doing a discount tuition, you know, because I personally feel very guilty asking for full price tuition when classes are only 30 minutes versus an hour. Right. And you're not uh, doing, you know, we're not hitting each other. You're not using the equipment. But uh, so now it's been, you know, doing it that way. But again, I've been, I told you last time, you know, my landlords have been very understanding, very cooperative. So, you know, the expenses have been down, which has given me that flexibility. Um, And again, I told you before the show that, you know, I work on the family farm. So it's not like this is my only source of income or livelihood. You know, I can always just sit in a tractor for 12 hours, (laughs) you know, do it that way. (laughs) You know, we talked a lot about social media, too, before, and I continue to talk about it with all the business owners that have been on and even with coaches and athletes. You know, back in the day when I got recruited for for football, it was, you know, you send tapes into colleges. And now you have coaches that are saying, well, send like videos of yourself on YouTube or, you know, most schools use what they call huddle. 
Um, so social media is just enormous. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, Facebook, you know, the ads, you know, back in the day, you could put an ad in the local newspaper. You know, nowadays, it's almost cheaper to do the social media piece because you can get it out to more people. Have you oh, taken advantage of all that? It's much, much cheaper. Um, like I said, we've done newspapers. We've done, you know, uh, TV. I did a TV stand. I even did movie theaters once. That actually had a pretty decent return. Movie theater did. Um, but Facebook has been far away the best source of advertising outside of word of mouth, of course. You can't yeah. be word of mouth. Um, but, you know, we've tried to build more of a presence. It's something we're getting every year a little bit better at as far as, you know, even just free content, not even paid advertising, just something that's marketable that share, you know, going viral or something funny that people, you know, share. Like one thing we did four years ago is we did a Halloween safety video. All the kids got to go in a costume and we just made a goofy little video where it was kind of like, it was dorky and silly, but it actually got, you know, the kids shared it with all their friends and everything else. So people were like, this is weird, but kind of funny. And, you know, you got a couple students out of that or at least that exposure from it. So it's, again, even out the page, it's just the exposure. You can't beat it. You're absolutely right. And my uh, my buddy Pat, uh, Pat's a, a follower of the show, said, sounds great, man. Love the show. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate that. Pat's been a, a long, long-time friend and watches all the shows. Um, so, Heath, one of the things I wanted to ask you, too, so since all this, you know, COVID stuff has happened – you know, I know for myself personally, sometimes at night when I'm a night owl, so I sit up and work and do some things. Sometimes you have time to reflect on how things have changed, you know, in your life over the last so many months. How has this changed either the way you go about your everyday business now? What what things have changed since all this has happened? I got to make you think, right? Well, it's it's a little different because, again, you know, I have a family farm, so that's already socially distant. You know, it's just me. It's my parents. We do a lot of acreage. So for me, in some ways, it doesn't change. Not going into the school is the biggest change. Um, but again, like I said, as much as it's difficult because we can't do the self-defense and sparring, it has had its benefits. And the biggest thing, I think, is because I wasn't traveling as much, I had more time to sit. And we actually made a lot of changes starting last month. To the system, we introduced some new, uh, uh, not curriculum changes, but um, programs to kind of help build leadership. And that's something that I've wanted to do for years, but COVID actually let me have a little bit more time to do that. Um, I'm trying not to sound glib about COVID because obviously it's a very dangerous thing. It's something that a lot of people suffer with. And, you know, going to the grocery store, you know, now it's like there's there's a sense of unease, but uh you know, purely from the, my business aspect and my day-to-day, it's it hasn't changed or it's given me opportunities that I never would have had before. Um, and again, a lot of that's just because of out of necessity, right? It's not necessarily what I wanted to happen. It's just, it's here, we have to deal with it. And, you know, necessity is the mother of creation, I believe is how it goes. You got it. And I want to make sure I, I bring over Lisa, too, because Lisa a, a, watches me every week, and I, I appreciate it as well. She says she's here late. She was helping the kids with homework. But uh, Lisa has not missed many shows as well. So thanks, Lisa. I appreciate that. Um, so, Heath, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, and, and I think I mentioned this to you before, but I really liked um, your core philosophy for, for your gym. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I did steal some of that here at work. So just talk to us a little bit about that. 
All right. Well, I think they can see on the screen, um, you know, our slogan is there's no limit to improvement. And that's something that I've always believed in, because if you look at martial arts, you can be young, you can be old, talented, not talented, blind, you know, missing an arm, missing a leg. And it, there's no stopping. You can continue to improve. And that's what makes it fun is how with this limitation do I still get better? Do I get sharper? Do I make it work? Um, I think that's one of the coolest things about it. You know, last time I talked about the, the masters, you know, even though they're 80 years old, they physically may not be as impressive as they used to be. Um, the technical skill and the knowledge makes them just as devastating and dangerous. Um, so that, you know, and I think that's something very unique to martial arts in some ways, because with your professional sports, you know, there reaches a point where you just, you age out of it. So forth. there's only so much you can physically do. Whereas martial arts is something, even if you age out of competition, you can still keep improving as a martial artist until you die. Uh, one thing I tell my students um, was that we are Shotokan karate based. Um, the founder was Gichi Funakoshi. And one story that I heard one time was uh, he lived to like 99 years old or something, very old, had trained martial arts his entire life. And on his deathbed, he bemoaned the fact that he couldn't live two more months because in two more months, he felt he could truly master the basic, the very first punch, the reverse punch that we ever learned. You know, he'd done martial arts for over 90 years. He's like, with two months, I could make it perfect. I could not improve it any further. And that to me is just, that's kind of the overall philosophy of my school is like, if you have a guy like that, who's that renowned still saying that, then for the rest of us, I mean, one thing I always tell my students is you can be bored when it's perfect. Mm -hmm. If it's not perfect, you can't be bored. And it can never be perfect, so you can never be bored. You're 100% right. And I use that in, uh, of course, my my profession now in, in, in the business world. But even as, a, even as a football coach, growing up with coaches in my family, even your, your better athletes, somebody always needs, there's always room for improvement. We can always coach somebody. Somebody needs to be coached in some way. I, I have my strengths and my weaknesses. Um, so I, I, I love that slogan. The one thing I wanted to ask you too is, you know, as a coach, I always love when I see former players come up to me and they still call me coach. Um, they share some stories with me say, hey, coach, you know, thanks for all you did. You know, you taught me about life. And, you know, that kept me going back to, to love coaching. What, what, do you, what type of stories, success stories, you know, what makes you keep coming back after all these years of being in martial arts? You probably had numerous times opportunities maybe to do something different. But what are some feel-good stories for you that you could share with us? Um, kind of the same thing when you get a student that you hadn't heard from. Um, I had two students that were sisters. Um, they were actually some of my first students. And when they came to me, um, neither one talked. Uh, the one had been, the older eldest had been one of really bad bullying, um, had been a victim of that. Uh, to the point where she was actually partially deaf in one ear. And the other, the younger never talked, never laughed in school. Um, and then over through the months of working with them, um, they trained, they only stayed till about orange belt, yellow belt, which is about two years in my school. But I found out afterwards, like the younger, a teacher actually came up to me after a school demo and was like, you know, whatever you did work, because now she laughs with other kids you know, I actually got to meet her as a senior 
about three years ago. And she was like the center of attention, the one who was always causing everyone else to laugh. Um, the eldest, one of the biggest moments we had with her that was a breakthrough. And it was as my brother, um, he was like the human bunch of bag. He could always get the girls to want to hit him. And he kind of pushed her one class because we, we'd worked with her enough. And she finally just like let it all out. Actually left bruises on him, but it was like that type of thing where she finally was able to let go. And even though she stopped doing classes shortly after that, you know, I still hear about her mom called me, you know, six months later, like, thank you for, you know, she's more confident she's doing this type of stuff. Um, you know, and, you know, my first black belt, I put in a lot of effort with her. You know, she, it was the type of thing that, you know, her and her mom at one point were wondering because she was failing. She wasn't doing well in tournaments when she was much younger. And there, and someone had said a very negative comment about her potential as far as that she didn't have any. And being able to take that and see where she grew over the next eight years to the point where she was my first black belt. Many of the talented people, including the talented students who had talked down to her, were no longer there and couldn't hack it. To me, that's the most gratifying and uplifting is seeing these kids that are the misfits, that aren't necessarily the superstars, and to bring them in and have them be like, hey, you know, this training worked. You, your brother, the fellow students, it's not just me, it's the entire school is what kind of helped them. You know, to me, that's the biggest thing. And I've got, you know, stories about people that had stopped you know, they had a rough home life and then they're like, yeah, you know, I end up getting out of there. I'm working a job. You know, you taught me how to work with a work ethic and everything else. And that that type of stuff is why I keep coming back, you know, even during yeah. the, the toughest times. Yeah, that's awesome. And I used to always say, too, and I still say this in, in my job today. Um, you know, obviously, when you're coaching, you're involved in athletics and, and the same with you. It's, we have that competitiveness. I still get it. And, you know, I coach my son and watching him play and my daughter as she gets older. The competitiveness and the will to win will never go away um, for as long as I live. But, you know, to me, it was never about winning games. It was more about teaching the kids, you know, about life, how to do it the right way. You know, yep. we're going to do things the right way. We're going to do it as a team. We're going to win as a team, lose as a team. And, and as a coach, you always have those adversity, you know, those tough coaching moments. What are some of the challenges, you know, teaching that you've been faced with? As far as my moment where I've had to get after somebody or <laughs> yeah. like a crisis, um, each one of my black belts, my, my brother um, was my student, but he came up with my teacher as well. So he's kind of like a shared student. Um, but the moment, you know, he actually got his junior black belt at 10 years old and tested through. But then when he got to 16, which you could test for your adult black belt, he kind of thought he could waltz into it and he spent four years failing. And finally it got to the point where, you know, everyone, the, the organization was sick of seeing him fail, you know, and everything else. So we went to my instructor, we worked with him and, you know, I got to this moment. I remember it clearly we're upstairs training at the house and he was like, you know, the same bad habits, you know, letting that, you know, crying, letting the weakness that, you know, protect, thinking he was tired. And I just, I got after him. You know, I, I took a soft pad because he was kicking it. He was wussing out and I popped him right in the face. and was like, whoa. 
And then, you know, I said, we can't keep doing this. You got to make a choice right here, right now, because you're, you're being a bad role model of the school and everything else. You got to make a call. The next day he shaved 30 minutes off his five mile run. Cause he just, that switch hit right during his pre-test because he gets stressed. You get stressed during that test. He failed one self-defense and he started going back into that mindset, right? That little kid mindset. And it was not my proudest moment, but I grabbed him and I shook him right on the middle of the floor. I said, we're not doing this. All right. You've trained, you know what you can do. So stop being a little bitch and get to work. And he's like, right back and just slammed it the rest of the test. Um, and I've got a lot of those, you know, with uh, students where, you know, where I, he was my brother. So I was obviously a little bit more abrasive with him than other people, but where it's like, you know, you've got to make a choice. What are you going to do here? If you're going to do this, stop telling me you're going to do it and start showing it. Um, we had that recently with um, the entire school. Actually, I sat them down because um, we were talking about an event coming up for day camp. And I said, guys, you know, you can't be complacent. Like you said, you got to improve, you know, that's, right. but that means challenging yourself, right? If you're not going to challenge yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. So you, you have to do that. And this is something, even though the day camp is muddy and wet, if it's raining or whatever, and it's a long day, you, you're never going to have that where everything just lines up for you. Sometimes you just got to deal with things that don't work or that are uncomfortable and then push through them. And we ended up because of that and because we had some new blood in there, it became like the best day camp we've ever had. I had kids that, you know, they test for different levels and they were like staying way beyond their levels because they were having so much fun and pushing. Um, yeah. I think that challenging piece is, is key. I really like how you, you talked about that because I listen, when my son's eight years old, when I go to pop Warner, or I go to these, these sporting events, I'm used to being around the high school kids at the, at the varsity level, which is a lot different than the younger kids. But I think even with the younger kids, I think that's the problem. I, I think even as parents and, and some coaches, we don't challenge the kids enough. We want everybody to succeed, which unfortunately, you know, you probably have people when they test, you know, sometimes they don't pass every test or they're not ready, you know, to test. There's kids that, you know, aren't ready to play at that next level. And it's, it's our job as coaches to really develop, coach, and, and teach. But I always say my, my dad was real tough on me, and I'll never forget, um, and I share this story a lot because it really taught me a lot about different things. Um, my dad was a head football coach. I might have shared this with you before. Yeah, if, he's, yeah. if he's listening, I know he's going to say, I know what you're going to say. But um, my dad was a head coach for a long time, and then I helped my dad out. And then I became a head coach and my dad was my assistant coach. And I'll never forget, we had so many moments where it's fourth down and one and you call a timeout, you're talking to every, all your coaches. And I said, dad, what do we do? And he said, well, you're the head coach. You know, you make that decision. And my dad probably could have told me what to do, but my dad wanted me to make that decision because if we got it, great. If we didn't get it, it was a learning moment. And I really think that we don't challenge people enough. Yeah. I mean, you make an interesting point, though. As head coach, you have to set the tone. You know, exactly. it's the same thing that for me and for my higher ranking students, you have to set the tone. If you're not doing it, you know, one thing that's been a learning experience for me is last year I mentioned that I was I was down and out. Um, we were talking back surgery. Um, it was 
you know, whether I could continue being a martial artist. And it was the type of thing that I realized my other students had to set up because I physically could not set the tone. Um, and, you know, now they've started stepping up, you know, and far as challenging everybody, they, they got to understand why they need to be challenged. I think that's like, if they're just like running laps and, you know, getting sick and tired, they got to understand why that challenge is, you know, setting the tone, setting that standard. And then yeah. the challenge is, and understand it's not necessarily about, like you said, a teaching moment, right? It's not necessarily about success or failure. It's about the growth, the improvement, what you gain from that experience going into it. Um, in martial arts, you know, you mentioned failing. The reason why we fail is, you know, I also have an ethical responsibility because I teach self-defense. So if I'm just passing kids along because they're a great kid or because, you know, while well, they put in good effort, but they're not to the right standard, that's actually dangerous for them because it's building in this sense of, you know, hey, I've got this belt, I'm capable of doing this, and then something happens, they get hurt. And that's, a, you know, I told my students, you know, my number one thing is their safety, both here and how they carry themselves out there. So, and I see, uh, oh, good, Dave. Dave, uh, Bruce had Dave, Mr. Bruce on last week, says, great to see Sensei Waterman on again. He says, I watched the last time he was on. He's a terrific guest. Thanks, Thank Dave. You. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Your interview was excellent as well. So. You know, one of the things I brought up with, with Dave, and, and this really, I, I was intrigued by this, is I said, you know, I was a good athlete, but sometimes good athletes don't translate into good at martial arts. And I, and I really found that interesting. I'm like, well, geez, I was a good athlete. I could probably do it. But he said that not necessarily that the better athletes are good at martial arts. Right. No. I thought that was interesting. Well, it's, again, you know, it comes down to that work ethic, right? Because the thing about martial arts is there's going to come a time, there's going to be a certain move or a certain standard that they're going to have to work for. And the people that I think I mentioned this last time that struggle from the beginning and understand how to overcome those challenges are the ones who make it all the way through. Lots of times the talented people, like my brother, the difference between my brother and Autumn, the other black guy I was talking about, Autumn, I told you last time, no talent. But yeah. he started with no talent, understood how to work and train through all the difficulties. My brother, extremely talented, way beyond anything that I could ever hope to be in terms of physical capability, mental sharpness, and reflexes. But he waltzed through all the tests, and then he hit that black belt test, and it was a four years of failing because he just couldn't mentally get over that hurdle. Um, one thing I get, I've been in the habit the past couple of years is, you know, when I have a talented kid at white belt, I'm like, I'm just telling you this right now, it's okay to burst through these white belt ranks, but there's going to be a point that you are challenged, that something's not going to work and you need to understand that now. So it's not a surprise. And it actually happened recently. I have a very talented kid, picks things up very quickly, can't get a sidekick, which is one of our hardest basic kicks to do. He's been struggling with three weeks, but he's got the best attitude about it because he was prepared going in. He's like, you told me this is where it needs to be. I, I'm actually glad for this opportunity to experience it here and now. So, Heath, let's take a deep dive. Uh, I wanted to get into some of the classes that you offer. Okay. Uh, maybe can we take a little bit deeper dive because there's a ton of classes that, that you offer. So why don't we start? Let's do the karate piece first, and we'll kind of go through the different classes that you do offer. So why don't we start there? 
All right. So karate is, of course, my main background. It's what I've been training with all these years. Um, you know, it encompasses everything from sparring and belt defenses and basics, you know, kata technique. And we do multiple events throughout the year, like tournament competitions and, of course, our testing, occasionally self-seminars. Um, my karate style, like I said, was based in Shotokan, but obviously being American, it's, it's got some other elements to it. You know, I, I don't have my own style type deal. It's just, it's karate. You could see it, but like our self-defense is anything that works, you know? Um, and we are very self-defense focused, very reality. You know, we have our basics. We have our kata from the traditional standpoint. Um, although I can't say it's traditional. See, for a little background, my sensei was a Taekwondo school, all right? And Taekwondo is higher stances, more kicking. That's where I get all my kicks from. But then when we joined the Zendo Kai, they adapted it to karate. So we took a lot of our Taekwondo stuff and karateized it, for lack of a better term. So while we have a karate system, I can't really accurately say it's a traditional karate system, but you have the art component, I um, and then the self-defense becomes increasingly important as they go higher up. Um, but, so, but the karate is the all-encompassing. Like, it's everything that I teach in the other ones. Karate has it all. Everything we're going to teach. And then I know you, you mentioned the last time you, you talked a little bit about them. Is it the Mighty Monkeys? Is that the young kids? Yeah, that's for under seven. Um, it's the same program, same test system. It's just so they can work at a little bit slower pace. Like if you take, because if you have, you know, a, a six-year-old and a 13-year-old, they're, how they're going to pick up the material in the beginning is completely different rates. So you split it off and then uh, eventually the Mighty Monkeys move up to the actual karate program, but they maintain their rank throughout. So it's not like they have to start over when they become older, you know, when they're in the new class. Now, do your the age ranges for you are they are they pretty similar with with all the martial arts you have you start kids off at maybe four or five years old and you could have, you know, 60, 70 year olds. Yeah. Is do you have a certain range or as far as most common or as far as what I'll I, what I'll teach? I guess what would be the the youngest age of somebody that if they were to come over to your your gym that they could start. Uh, my rule is they can start if they can pay attention for a half hour. They can start the Mighty Monkey program. I've had as young as two years old in there. Um, you know, I've had like one or two kids do that. I've had a couple of three-year-olds that were little monsters. I believe I told you last time about the one Skyler. You know, he was just the type of kid that was focused and did what he had to do. Um, so, of course, I always offer a trial period. And if they're really young, you know, I will say like, hey, you know, maybe not. One thing we actually did last year alongside the core fitness is we introduced parent and child class. So how that broke it up is it's actually even younger. So the mighty monkey could be four or five years old to seven. And then the parent child was four under that. Most of the time it was just so the parents got a good workout. They got to train right. and have fun, but the kids did it right beside them. So then I had a couple of those kids move up to the mighty monkeys. So it kind of created that entire, you know, chron chronology all the way up through. Now, the classes that you do offer, is there one class or two that, uh, that's become the most popular, you know, with, with you and some of your, your um, students? Uh, karate is the, the big one. Um, karate is the main one. Like I said, that's encompasses everything. That's the largest, and that's including the Mighty Monkeys, you know, that's the whole thing. Um, one thing we did recently is we took um, the Kabuto class, which was traditional weapons, 
and we actually have blended that into the test system with the karate more. So now instead of being a separate class unto itself, it's actually built right into the karate art and the test system itself. So kids are learning more weapons and at a more advanced level than they used to. Um, yeah, so ahead. you say traditional, the traditional weapons. I'm just thinking of the old school karate games I used to play and the weapons that I used to go with and what guys I used to pick to fight with. Talk to us about what's the traditional weapons. Well, you got to start with bow, right? The bow staff, six foot. Yep. Um, that's the one every student has to train. They start training at orange belt. They have to, for the next couple ranks, maintain it. Some kids choose to stick with bow all the way up to brown black belt. Um, you have Psy, you know, like Raphael from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> right? This uh, um, Commas, which are kind of like a short sickle. It's a blade with a, a stick. Uh, Tomfa, it's kind of like a police baton where you hold it. It's got down there. You can spin. Yeah. Um, Screama, kind of like two clubs. Um, sometimes uh, Filipino martial arts is called Kali sticks. They're a little different in how they work, but it's kind of the same idea. Um, some people train Joe, which is like a bow staff, but it's shorter. It's more like chin height versus taller than you. Um, those are the big ones. Of course, kids love to try nunchucks. Luckily, most of them get discouraged pretty quickly. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a fan of nunchucks. I had one kid... It's not a Japanese weapon, but his mom bought him a three-section staff. And we did play with that one for a little bit, but it scared the crap out of me. Because <laughs> it's basically like nunchucks, but it's three sections. Wow. So, that, so it's like the length of a bow staff, but it's – and that was, that was scary. I'm like, you're not practicing it inside. You're not <laughs> practicing it around me. I'm not going to be liable for this thing goes bad. But So well. what's the kabuto? So kabuto is traditional weapons. Oh, it is. Okay. Um, it's Okinawan Japanese weapons is considered the traditional. So like I said, instead of having a separate class, we incorporated those weapons and those forms and those styles into the actual karate program over the past year. Um, we're actually, um, my marketer, Joe Chevrette, wanted me to say this, that we're actually going to be launching our new website here shortly. It was supposed to debut this year when uh, Janine and I took our sword test. Um, it was supposed to be the announcement there, but because of COVID, that got put on hold. Um, the testing did, but we're hopefully going to be launching a new site pretty soon, which is just, it's gorgeous looking. It's his best work so far. I'm really impressed with it. Um, and that, so you'll see some of the classes are going to be updated and changed at that point. Um, there, we haven't thrown anything away. We've just blended it in certain things. So instead of having like 20 different styles that people look at instead it's a little bit easier to read makes a little more sense so we always joke with janine here at work about the sword stuff because we always say if, if we're ever in a dark alley and we get into a fight she's the she's the first lifeline and i'm calling the fight with us but how talk to us a little bit about the swords all right so the sword is something that my sensei didn't do all right um he didn't do any of the sword and what happened is when i was at my original location, I think it was 2012 or 13, um, a guy from another school that's now currently Oneida Karate, Sensei Woodcock, uh, drove in. He's like, you want to learn sword? Because no one over there at the time was learning it. So I'm like, sure. So he started, he was from Heidi Ochi, which is a big uh, karate outfit out in Binghamton area, I believe. And uh, he started training me in traditional Yaido. Um which is live blade. It's more meditative drawing and everything else. 
Um, he started with Kendo, which is the armor with the bamboo swords. And then Janine started about a year after me. Um, and we've been training straight through ever since. And then what happened is we started talking to more people. Um, there's a lot of great resources online. And we started actually building, instead of it just being an hour training for the two of us, we started building a curriculum um, from white belt to black belt. And that's actually been a three-year project that we've been building it. And then again, because self-defense is kind of where it's near and dear to me, we started actually incorporating more self-defense elements than your traditional Yaido or Kendo. So it's the type of thing that if someone comes from like Japan, they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, well, that's not right. But I'm going to say, is it effective? And that's, again, that's what it always comes down to for me. Is, is this effective or is this something that's going to teach you how to be effective? Right. And that's what we've developed with the sword club. So we've got a white to black belt system with multiple tests with the sword, um, our black belt actually has branching specialties that you can go into, whether you want to go into Notoriu, which is short and long sword at the same time, or groundwork. And it's just, it's something that I feel is very unique. I've talked to a few uh, kendo and sword guys online. They like what they've seen. And I'm very excited to debut that next year um, because it's been a, it's been a big project, um, but it, it's fun. Swords is fun. And Janine is very much, she's my co-instructor um, this year. That was supposed to be a big announcement, but she's a co-instructor for Sword. And she uh, definitely keeps me on my toes. The only thing that keeps me ahead of her in Sword most of the time, or at least not getting my head clipped, is the <laughs> fact that I, uh, I have all the extra martial arts background, the karate. So you'll see I kind of have like a karate interpretation of Sword all the way through, and that's the only reason why she hasn't killed me yet. Um, <laughs> So I got to give a shout out. A buddy of mine um, I grew up with is a police officer now. He uh, says, what's up? He says, as a student of martial arts, this is amazing to hear about different arts and training styles. Great show. And uh, I appreciate that, Lance. And uh, I'll have Lance on here. I got to reach out to him to book something with him to come on. But uh, he, he, uh, he, he tunes in every now and then. So I appreciate that, Lance. Um, now, Heath, what was... So those were some of the class, but then you had another one. Was it Mission Mash? What's the Mission Mash one? Is that the kids too? No, Mission Mash is actually just an open training hour. So it's think of private lessons, but in a group setting. So what we'll do is I'll have like a kid who wants to train, is karate student, older training for like a brown belt test. I'll put them over here. I'll have another one doing sword over here. Maybe someone wants to do kickboxing over there. And then sometimes we'll work together which has been great because I had a guy who was training kickboxing um, for MMA. He was training the striking component with me and I was actually pairing him up with Janine with the sword. So he was working on slipping and dodging with that and it helped with his footwork. So everyone can work together, but lots of times it's, I just circulate, circulate for the neck for like an hour, just going from place to place, checking each person and keeping them going and motivated. Um, so that's what it was. It was an open hour, but it was to let people know that no, it's not just for karate. It's, a mission match. It's whatever you want to train. You want to get good workout in. You want to train some self-defense, whatever. We'll just work together that way. So here's a question. So if I'm, I'm somebody and I got to come down and, and meet all them, all you guys, you guys have all been great to talk to, but like, if I'm, I'm new to this and I walk into your place and I say, I don't even know what the hell class that I want to do. 
how, how would you, what do you recommend like for somebody to get started? Like does somebody come in and say, I want to do the swords or I want to do self-defense. How do you, how, how do you go about that? That's exactly what it is. People come in like, I want to get in shape. I want to do, you know, a, a sword looks cool. Cry looks cool. I want to do self-defense. And then I'll see whether it's something that you're looking for, like self-defense lots of times is just a seminar. Like it's a, I do a six week introductory seminar. Maybe that's all you want is just kind of get your feet wet in that kickboxing. You know, you want to come in, you want to hit some pads to get in shape that way. Um, or if it's something serious that you want to develop, then it's like, okay, well, I'd probably recommend the karate at that point. If it's the type of thing that you want to make a bigger commitment instead of just getting kind of the uh, in introduction to it, then that's where I would say like do the karate or do the sword um, and jump in that way. Uh, you know, and the thing is I shoot the first week is free for anybody to try any class they want to. So if you do the karate it's like, well, I'm not really big into the katas, but I like the sparring or the self-defenses or, you know, you do the sword and you really like that. You could just do sword instead of the karate. You can do all of it. Um, I tend to be very flexible. I let people just for the most part, pick and choose what they want. Kids. I'm a little less flexible. I'm like, you need to be in the karate class. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as adults go, I encourage karate because um, it encompasses everything. But if you were really interested in just one thing and didn't want to make the time commitment karate involves, because it is a commitment, especially if you decide to test and karate. I'm getting some adults in there, some dads. So it's like, you know, another year or two, everyone's got belts. I get to do self-defense, you know, because now it's a, you know, you always feel effective when you're beating up little kids. You know, it's like, yeah, everything I do works, but um it's nice to have an adult and be like, oh, I got to retweak that, right? Although little kids are scary with knives. They're they're the toughest to actually defend against knives because they're crafty. They're scary. <laughs> so, he talk to us a little bit about, I know you have the day camps to kick for kids. Talk to us a little bit about uh, those two things, if you can. Yeah. So, kick for kids is actually coming up. We do it the first or the Thursday just before Thanksgiving. And it's a fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Um, and occasionally we'll do like a local toy drive as well. And what it is, is kids go out and get donations or they can actually have friends come and, uh, pay, uh, basically an entry fee and all, um, for pizza and kicking. And we kick for an hour and a half and we see how many kicks we can do in that time period. Um, and then all the money goes toward the charities. Uh, it's the type of thing that we've done it. My sensei did it, um, for many years. And then I started do you know, I did it as soon as I opened up. And it's just a lot of fun. Every kid gets to come up with like, I want to do this kick and I want to count for it. So every kid gets to count, stand in the front. Um, they get to come up with their own kick or kick combinations and you just do what you can. Um, our record was, and we haven't met it, but our best year, we did 3,200 kicks in an hour and a half. Wow. Everybody, every individual student did 3,200 kicks. Wow. So, I wouldn't be able was, to lift my leg the next day. Oh, no. No one was walking for like <laughs> the rest of the weekend. It was, but it was really cool to raise that kind of money. I think we raised like 1200 bucks that year. It was really, it was one of our best years. And everyone was just, it wasn't like just kind of kicking your foot out. I mean, we were screaming through the kicks to the last one. It was wow. great energy. So that's kick for kids. Um, you know, it's a great cause. So if people want to get a good workout in and, you know, eat some pizza and donate for a good cause. You know, that's what that's all about. Day camp is something that, again, I live on farmland. So lots of deer trails, lots of forests and everything else. So it was something that my brother and I started where we could teach 
and do activities that we normally can't do inside a dojo. Like one year we did knife defense, but we actually used paintbrushes with paint. You could see where you got cut, but you couldn't do it in a dojo because it'd make a mess. It's running trails. It's teaching kids how to climb properly, you know, steep hills, um, jump properly. We'll do some parkour sometimes where they can actually train vaulting. Um, one of the biggest things, though, is the, ki the kids that, again, I test every level based off their endurance. The highest level gets to do what we call the uh, challenge. I don't know. It was inspired from, I don't know if you've ever played Zelda, any Zelda game. Breath oh, of yeah. The oh, yeah. You play Breath of the Wild? One of my favorites. Okay. You know the Koroks? I do. All right. Well, that actually inspired the idea. And what I did is I created these little figures and I hide them throughout the woods with different riddles. So the kids have to go and find them. But while that's happening, they've made all their phone weapons. So people like me and Janine are actually hunting them through the forest while they're trying to do these riddles. <laughs> and the reason why we do it is because unlike self-defense is it trains them mentally for emergency situations. Like now all of a sudden I don't have the option, you know, like a car accident or anything that I, you know, self-defense isn't viable. What, how can I make this work? Right. This is the stress. This is the fear. How can I make it work? Or it lets me see the kids, you know, because I'm always hiding in the forest and listening in, you know, <laughs> who steps out, like who steps up as a leader, who takes control, who's better doing this? How do they work together when there isn't the clear rank hierarchy, you know, who butts heads a little bit. And then it's all in just this fun, massive game. It's an eight hour camp. It's just a, it's exhausting, but it's a blast. Um, next year, we're talking about even taking it further and doing a level four for the advanced ranks with oh, wow. potentially like nighttime stuff or um, a couple other things I'm not talking about yet. I want to surprise them yet. But it's just it's a huge event uh, we do every August. And it's just it's a blast. Uh, the kids this year, even though with COVID, we had to do social distancing. So we modified it. Um, so everyone had social. It was still a blast. I had kids that, you know, they, they live in the suburbs, you know, for them you know, grass taller than six inches. And I had one kid, we're down this steep bank and he's like, the whole time he's like almost crying. He's like, oh God, because he's sliding down this dirt bank and he gets to the bottom and he looks up to the top. He's like, yeah. And then all he wanted to do was like run up and down the bank for the rest of the class. You know, he was like going to tear off his shirt. He was diving in the pond and doing kicks and everything. So that's what it's all about. It's just a blast. And it teaches us at the same time, which is the best of both worlds. So, Heath, I want to make sure I ask you because we're, we're coming up to the hour here, but I want to make sure we get into, you know, what's on the horizon for the rest of this year? Anything big happening with for you um, for, for going into next year? Can you share any secrets with us or anything? Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to be doing in-house just a little Halloween party. You know, last year we did costumes for everyone could wear costumes and do the karate. And we actually did a in the dark. We did lightsaber battles, which was kind of fun for everybody. Uh, we're going to modify it this year, of course. Um, the Cake for Kids is the big one. That one's coming up in the middle of November. We have our uh, Safe Sport Act seminars, um, which I'm sure with football, you're aware of the Safe Sport Act. Yeah. Um, so what I actually started doing is every student gets training, but every parent gets training along with staff. So it's something we do annually, which is, you know, it's not fun, but it's important. And then we have our holiday break. We're going to have testing, which I'm really excited about because we're going to have a couple high rank testings. We're going to get like hopefully three new brown belts, which is a very high rank. 
um, another person testing for their EQ, which is the last rank before black belt. In fact, we just had someone last week test for that. So I'm going to have two kids for next year going for their actual black belt. And next year could be very big. I'm going to have Autumn going from black belt for her second degree black belt. Hopefully those two kids going for their black belt. And then Janine and I will be taking tests for our sword um, advanced black belts as well. Um, so it could, it's out of my mind. Black belt training is very stressful for everybody involved. It's six months to a year of, you know, a lot of intensity doing one almost killed me. So trying to do five of us at the same time, it's going to be an interesting and unique challenge. Um, but I'm very excited for what they're going to do. We're also, um, you know, we got the sword program. We don't stop there. Janine and I already talked about building a few other curriculums that are going to start going to development seminars and stuff using her background in criminal psychology. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a very fun year. And, you know, hopefully we'll get back indoors in January and we'll just keep training. And then the second that we're free and clear, it's going to be a lot of self-defense. And we'll probably do another online tournament in March, I'm guessing, if that's the case. So a lot of stuff, big plans. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, Heath, what's the best way, again, for, for people to take a, take a look at your place to reach you? Is it the website? Yeah, they can do the website or they can find us on Facebook and reach out there. Either one works. Um, I believe my number flashed across the bottom, so you can call as well. Any of it's good. Okay. Well, listen, I told you the last time, and I got to make this happen. I got to get down there and get a chance to meet you in person. Um, you're, you've been fantastic to speak to uh, both times. You're one of my favorite guests that I've had on this show since I've been starting this thing. So I really appreciate that. I'll be in touch for sure. Come down, meet you. And, well, why, uh, why don't you come down for kick for kids? You can throw some kids kicks, not throw I'll some kids, throw some kicks and eat some pizza and stuff. So you know what? I'll do that. I'll bring my son and uh, I'll bring my daughter too. Awesome. So, right. but, but keep in touch, man. I appreciate yeah. it and keep up the good work. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is always a, a blast. I enjoy coming on here. It's a great show. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. I, I appreciate it, man. Stay safe. You too. All mm -hmm. right. Thanks, Heath. So that was Heath Waterman, and and I say this all the time. I, you know, Dave Bruce was fantastic. Vicky was fantastic. Fantastic. Heath was fantastic. I have learned so much about martial arts over the course of the last couple months, and everybody was fantastic to speak to. And I think one of the things with this show that I, I really love doing the most, and I love my Saturday morning sports talk show that I've been going on. This is year five um, on WKAL, and I and I love talking sports. The best thing about this show is to actually see the passion um, in the eyes of who I'm speaking to. It's fantastic. And uh, and I saw it last week with Dave and with Vicki and every guest that I have had on this show, um, you could see that. And that, that, that gives me goosebumps every time I, I talk to people. And I think, too, thinking about and having them talk about their journey, everything wasn't always the greatest. Everybody had the challenges um, to get where they're at today. And we still continue to face you know, a lot of challenges and, and obstacles, but knowing that the people that I've had on here love what they do um, and the things that they do for the community is just fantastic. So I really appreciate it. I've had a ball talking to um, to all three of them here the last couple of months. So I can't, I can't thank everybody um, enough. I can't thank everybody enough for following me. Um, I've had so many good, good contacts and people reach out to come on the show. Um, next week, I'm even more excited um, I'll be talking to the director of the Rome Sports Hall of Fame, 
um, Dave Sabarglia, um, who's going to come on with me and talk about. I think the the Rome Sports Hall of Fame is a hitting gem um, in all of New York State. Um, it means a lot to me. My sister and my dad are both um, um, inductees. They were both inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame. So sports have been a huge part of my family's life for as long as I've been alive and as long as my sister and my, my family have been going. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then I just reached out a, a buddy of mine that I played football with at Fordham, um, Eddie Gordon. They call him Eddie the Truck Gordon. He won the tough um, contest for uh, the MMA. It was a reality show, um, fought in the MMA. Eddie's going to come on with me here as well, uh, which I'm excited to, to talk with him. He's a, He'll be a great guest. And then my buddy Lance Cyrus, I got to get in touch with him to come on. It's just nice to get everybody back on and, uh, and share some stories. So that's enough of me talking tonight. I will share this on YouTube. Um, go on my YouTube page if you haven't subscribed to me yet. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me all over the place. But again, as I say every Wednesday night on this show, the rock pile is where dreams become reality. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight, everybody. I'm out. Enjoy your weekend.